Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I'm an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I just really love having geeky conversations with people about all kinds of new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I'd like to introduce you to a roundtable talk about Black theology and biblical equality. Dr. Yeshia Gruber interviewed Dr. Charles Howard, who is the university chaplain and vice president for social equality and community at the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia. Dr. Howard's research and writings include academic works, as well as meditative poetry, And they focus on issues such as Black theology, poverty, and social change. Now, I know this is going to sound like a very United States-centric conversation, and to a certain extent it is, but there are racial conflicts all over the world right now, and a lot of governments and leaders that are changing and focusing on nationalism and thus developing potentially destructive policies against the quote-unquote other. So maybe we can borrow this conversation and look deeply at the theology and use it to help all of us in all of our different nations across the world become better thinkers about God and culture and oppression and redemption. Let's start with a little background on Dr. Howard and why he chooses to work in an Ivy League school in a city like Philadelphia. And the place where I work, I've been connected to for you know, about 25 years. And it feels like home. And I was a student there. It's nice to have a chance to pour back into a place that's poured so much into me. And I think what we're trying to do now, you know, we're an academic space in an urban setting in a, a country that is very much at a kind of, you know, fork of the road crossroads. And I, I think I like to think that we're a cosmopolitan place that looks like the world but that can sort of bring the world to a nation that needs sort of a global uh, mindset as opposed to the kind of um, America first slash kind of like white nationalist um, thing that is, is dominating. So I, I'm excited to be at a place like Penn where, again, we draw students and, and faculty from around the world and can remind the country that there's more to earth than like, like our little country. Hmm. How does the Bible fit into that? A great, great question. I think the answer depends on who you are. You know, I mean, I think for there are some people for whom the Bible does not fit into this conversation. And I think being a part of a cosmopolitan space, being a part of a very diverse country like America, a diverse world, is remembering that this is not the compass for everybody. You know, I mean, I think this is to, to rant for a second. I think one of the most dangerous comments that people make about the United States is that we are a Judeo-Christian country. And, in, and there's politics and there's reasons why people use that phrasing. Um, and certainly when we were founded in the late 17, middle 1700s, the majority of our founders 
of the kind of founding fathers and mothers uh, would be identified as Christians or deists, but that is not who we are now. The majority of the states believe in God, but there's a whole lot of people who are not Christian here. And it's important to remember that. That said, for a lot of us, self-included, the Bible is that compass of, of, of the importance of radical love, the importance of working for justice. This, this is what the Bible says, what does the Lord require of us? Humility, justice, working on behalf of the, of the poor, of our neighbor, welcoming the stranger. Like, so to me, when I think about what I want our country, what I want our world to look like, what I want my life to look like, all of that comes from the soil of, of scripture. Hmm. It has everything to do with it for, for me. Now, at this point, Dr. Gruber and Dr. Howard dive into some American history, including the Declaration of Independence. You know, that part that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And quick show of hands here, who is thinking about or listening in their head to the song in the musical Hamilton? There's a complex history there, and... The two of them in this conversation don't shy away from the complexity of how some of these young 20-something-year-olds dreamt up a democratic experiment, and yet they had their falling short moments. The incalculable number of indigenous people who were forced from their land or were killed. And of course, the transatlantic slave trade. So how do we understand these historic figures who are brilliant on one hand and yet the perpetrators of atrocities on another? I, I don't know. Obviously, like, clearly, I've never had a chance to speak to people who live right, right. 200 years before. But my guess would be, I think there are similar parallels today. Um, I don't think necessarily with the same brutality and, and murderousness of slavery, but you, you think about those who's, um, who have heard that their business decisions are killing our planet, and they understand that, and yet it's hard for them to, to change their mind. Hmm. Maybe because the amount of self-sacrifice um, and vulnerability is just too much. You know? And so, so for, for Jefferson or Washington, to go that hard against slavery and kind of release the enslaved Africans under their watch would have been economically devastating to them and their families and their power and their influence. Hmm. And I think as disgusted as they may have been, the cost was too high. I think it's similar now, you know, these sort of multi-billion dollar global corporations that are, are, are literally killing our planet and hmm. killing individuals they, because of shareholders, because of their own wealth, because of their own power. Like it's really hard to imagine just stopping the sort of pulling out of fossil fuels and things like that, mm-hmm. even if it's costing their grandkids clean air or sort of whatever. It's not a perfect parallel at all, but I think that the demand for what it would ask of someone might be too hard for people. Hmm. One unique aspect of this roundtable talk is that a good portion of it is political, but That is not accidental. Dr. Howard's work deals with the connection of biblical study with political and social issues. 
After all, biblical studies are not supposed to be some sort of abstract study, which is how I ended up studying the land to begin with. Now, all of you in the IBC audience are global and represent a lot of different languages and religious backgrounds even. This conversation does hover around U.S. politics and our own historic shortcomings, and it's almost like a test case to see how the Bible is applicable in other places around the world who share similar shortcomings. So how do we have productive conversations when we find ourselves in different camps? Maybe we have benefited from the social or political systems that benefit people because of our ethnicity or faith. Or maybe we are systematically oppressed because of our ethnicity or faith. Well, earlier in the conversation, Dr. Howard mentioned white nationalism. What do we do when someone does not believe there is a destructive, racist, or nationalistic narrative that needs to be rooted out? It's a hard uh, challenge I think a lot of us face on both ends, in one sense, recognizing our own fault or our own team, nation, school, state's fault in creating systems that have disenfranchised and marginalized people. It's also hard to sort of articulate that and name it. One of the, I, I, I think often when people talk about racism and white nationalism, they think the Ku Klux Klan and, and they think people who sort of like literal white terrorists right. who, who were lynching people um, as opposed to, I think, the more subtle yet potentially more dangerous manifestations of what that is. And so uh, the example I often give, I went to a, uh, a private school, a preparatory school in Baltimore, Maryland, which is a, a state just under the Mason-Dixon line, way up south, and a great school with people who loved me and who I loved. And I went there for 12 years and my absolute best friends are there. Yet, a critical examination of it would show that the people, my classmates and the teachers, the people who designed the curriculum were not overtly racist people. They didn't use the N-word to describe me, even though some classmates did. But the faculty and staff wouldn't do that. They wanted me and the 8% of us who were black in our class to succeed. And yet the subtleties, when you look at the curriculum, and this is still true in a lot of places, what are we studying? In U.S. history, the only black people in my history book, there was an image, a carving of an enslaved African sort of begging for, for, for freedom like that with chains. They fast forward to Frederick Douglass, they skip all the way to Martin Luther King Jr. In all that history, high school U.S. history class, three black people, no black women, not a single person of Hispanic or Latinx descent. None of my classes studied East or South Asian history. I had, I had one world religion class where we had like a week on Hinduism and like Buddhism and Sikhism. That's it. Nothing on Africa. Nothing on South America. Hmm. Hmm. Every single picture on the wall of the building 
all white men. The music at all the parties, the food served in the cafeteria, the field trips we took, everything came from a Eurocentric or, or kind of a, a, a white-centric thing. Even just the whole concept of Western civilization, you know, sort of the, the progression of history in, in, in sort of the high school curriculum is it, where I was, was like, you study Western Civ, which kind of follows the history of America, of, of the world from like Rome and Greece into Europe and then into the discovery of America, the founding of America, like nobody was here beforehand. And, and then after that, you kind of do U.S. history and then you zoom into like Maryland history. And then you can choose an elective if you want. I want these other little random classes. But you don't have to take any of those. It's that sort of very subtle supremacy that this history and this reality is more important than that over there. Even if there are people who look like them over there in this class, what's important for you to learn, student, is white stuff. On top of that, the kind of daily sort of microaggressions of, of, of people who are afraid of black people, the way that black people are portrayed in television and movies, in the news, as violent people who are hypersexualized and like great athletes but less intelligent. That's the way that black people have been portrayed in this country it, since there's been media portrayal of this country, it's very different than burning crosses and lynching people. That's sort of a systemic thing that, that, that creates white as good, black as either exotic or dangerous, and everything else is other kind of interesting, maybe exotified thing to be exploited. Hmm. That's white supremacy. If I could sort of add one last note here too, the denial of that and the inability to see that shores up a system that makes it even more secure. Now, and then you get exceptions like, well, you had a black president. What about Barack Obama? You know, we have a holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. Look at you, Jazz. Private school, Ivy League. You're doing well. Oprah, LeBron James. Like, you know, sort of have these, like, these, these very rare exceptions who've been able to assimilate in a lot of ways. But you sort of still, you point out wealth, home ownership of black folks, of their white counterparts, salaries, life expectancy, incarceration, sentencing, like every single category. Now, either you believe that black people are less intelligent, more prone to crime, and more in, and all that kind of stuff, and that's why they're kind of doing worse. And that's a racist position to think that because of someone's ethnic makeup, that they are less than, or you acknowledge there is something wrong with the system and the legacy of a country that has, that has traumatized a people group, people groups, and that we need to work to repair that. I've been thinking about issues related to what Dr. Howard is talking about. There is a danger of editing people out of history or out of our stories that we tell ourselves. Recently, due to some writing projects I have, I've been thinking a lot about women in the Bible or through history who have been erased by how we choose to retell stories. But given that I live in the United States, I've been talking quite a bit recently, maybe within the last five years, with other people about how their stories have been erased or how the national narrative refuses to acknowledge their impact. And as an aside here, I'm reading a book. It's called The Cooking Gene, written by a Black and Jewish author, Michael W. Twitty. It is amazing. I like it because he talks about history and how it is wrapped up in food. And 
I adore talking about history and culinary traditions. He traces the significant impact the enslaved Africans had on how American food and the American economy developed. Anyway, that's a little tangential, but you might want to check out the book. I'm also writing on the geographical aspect of the Book of Acts, which makes me think about how North and West focused the book is as it traces Paul's journey. But we know from history that the gospel narrative also went south into and throughout all of Africa, as well as north and east into the Syrian Empire. And Another quick aside, a scholar named Vince Bantu has written quite a bit about this, and you should check him out. These are all stories I think we should know and value. I think this is why I find Dr. Howard's roundtable talk so engaging and necessary. So this is only an introduction. Next week, we will dabble a little bit more in Black theology and Dr. Howard's definition of truth with a capital T, and then music. Oh, the music, that most original and beautiful expression of human life. Don't miss the conversation. If you are listening on a podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast, make sure that you have already liked or followed the Israel Bible Podcast so you don't miss out on the wide range of conversations we get to have here. Conversations that invite all of us to dare to see the world of the Bible and our own modern world in a slightly different way. If you are already a student at IBC, you have access to the full conversation between Dr. Howard and Dr. Gruber, along with the wide collection of other roundtable talks. If you're not yet a student, sign up using the link in the episode notes. In less than three minutes of your time, you can start Israel Bible Center Certificate Program in Jewish Context and Culture. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible. 